0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of CJ and the Duke. As always, I am your co host, Robert the Duke Fedoric.
1: And I am Corey CJ Wesley.
0: All right. In today's episode, we are talking about what's up with reporting? I mean, what are reports anyway? Yeah, man, like, shouldn't this be the topic? No matter where you are in service now, shouldn't this be the topic? What's up with reporting?
1: Let me tell you, I've never done an engagement where reporting has not been mentioned. And I've never done an engagement where reporting has not been prioritized.
0: Let me tell you, man, one of the like biggest pet peeves for me is seeing a scope of work that says do reporting.
1: Right. You know, if you see that scope of work and that line says do reporting, you're going to end up with a group of, of list items, mm-hmm. uh, or list views rather. Um, and it's going to just show you a bunch of records and you're going to get all of that from filters anyway. That's yep. not reporting.
0: Reporting is the reason why we do what we do in service now. It's that it's stepping stone to tell the story of the efforts that we're doing in service now. And so on this episode, we're going to bring you through a bunch of different concepts that hopefully expand your horizons and help you get to a reporting paradigm that just makes it all worth it.
1: I mean, when you think about it, right, like reporting is really going to be what defines whether or not individual pieces of your ServiceNow implementation are successful. And it's also going to be how management justifies to the folks above them whether or not that ServiceNow implementation is successful. So it's the piece that resistance of, you know, your ServiceNow implementation and it's something that you definitely need to spend a lot of time on.
0: Yeah. And if I was going to listen to any episode of CJ and the Duke, this is the one I would listen to because I want to be the hero of wherever I am at, right? Back when I was a ServiceNow customer, I wanted to have all the data at my fingertips, the right information for the right audience at the right time to say, yeah, we should do this or yeah, that was worth it. So in this episode, we're going to come at you with four different concepts to ingest and get value out of. So first, we're going to talk about processes and outputs. Then we're going to talk about the different intents of reporting, like why do I report when I run a report? Then we're going to talk about reporting personas. And then we're going to talk a little bit about reporting tools.
1: And I think those four topics around reporting will kind of get you to the nitty gritty of what ServiceNow Reporting is and how it can help you as a help you uncover the business value in your instance.
0: The antithesis of this conversation is to do reporting. This is going to give you all the nuance so you know who runs reports, why they run them, and how to get the best value. So let's start off with processes and outputs, yeah?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: This is something I've been thinking about for a long time. When we think about why we put workflows in service now, is fundamentally process is unnatural to human beings. The way I illustrate this is with a comparative metaphor, protests and marching bands. Now, if you look at a protest, you have a bunch of people who are motivated. They all showed up to the protest. They are also ideologically aligned. Everybody at that protest has a single unifying, overarching vision. And so this is kind of like the theoretically perfect environment to get something done. Everybody's on the same page. Right? Yeah, absolutely. But what happens at a protest? Man, you're lucky if you can get them to march in the same direction. (laughs) You're lucky if you can get them to chant the same thing. And that's basically the two options you get. What do you want them to chant? And which direction do you want them to go? And by the way, you can't turn. It's just like straight line, which direction, <laughs> which is funny because at some level, they're just so highly aligned, but that's a bunch of people in their natural state. Every, yep. it's a come as you are party. Everybody yep. just showed up. They got their own signs. They got their own songs. They want to sing their own chants They want to chant, you know, they're not organized. Right. And so then I think about a marching band and a marching band meant like you could have people on opposite sides of the political spectrum standing right beside each other. And they're playing different instruments right in each other's ear. But miraculously, this team of disparate individuals with different instruments are playing the same song perfectly. And they're marching in time. They get to the same place wherever they want. And they can make a 90-degree turn whenever they want. Why is it that a marching band can do that and a protest can't? And the answer is process. Not only
1: is it process, though, but it's also knowing what the output of that process should be. When you decided whether or not you were going to host a protest or host a marching band, you you sat down and you thought about what the desired outcome of your gathering was going to be, right? Did you want a a group of people who were going to all get together and yell at the top of their lungs and kind of make a ruckus, but all be coherent in terms of grouping together? Or did you want a group of folks who are going to get together and all march in time, all sing from the same uh, hymn sheet, play in perfect harmony? and really execute on a vision in in, in a way as to that everyone was doing the the right thing at the right time, right? So what
0: would would be like an outcome of a marching band?
1: So an outcome of a marching band, I'd say, is probably something that is very, it's probably a, a project, right? Like when you think about it, like something like an implementation, an upgrade, Something where everyone needs to be doing everything at kind of like the right time where work is distributed and assigned to individuals and they all have a piece and everyone has to do their piece at the right time in the right place in order for the whole project to go successfully. When you think about the right the right kind of thing to assign to a say a protest is that when you know what the input is and everyone needs to get there, but they don't necessarily need to get there at the same time. Right. So think about something like incident management right when you've got ton of tickets coming into the help desk all day long and those tickets are you know coming in fast and furious and all you know is that by the end of the day You want all your techs to meet you at the end with all the tickets closed. It doesn't matter how they get there. It doesn't matter if they're doing it in perfect harmony. It doesn't matter if they're doing it over the phone, if they have to go visit a desk, right? You just want all the tickets closed at the end of the day. You want everybody to meet you at the finish line.
0: The way I like to think of it is just like every activity has something that is good or something that is bad. Absolutely. We impose process onto people so that we can get some kind of uniformity in results. The uniformity results could be security. It could be speed. It could be CSAT. It could be whatever. But what is the thing that we're imposing? It's not natural. Why are we imposing this on people? And that's... Why? If you're in some kind of service engagement and you're just talking about process, you're not talking about reports, you're having the wrong conversation because the process must maximize a good outcome or minimize a bad outcome. And you got to
1: know what that looks like before you even design a process, right? You got to know how to measure that outcome. If you can't measure the outcome, maybe you're measuring the wrong thing. And so when you design your process, you're actually optimizing for a metric that, that doesn't necessarily maximize your value. And when that happens, you end up with a you end up coming away from a from an engagement without giving the client everything that they needed.
0: The next thing we want to talk about now that you know that process and outputs are intrinsically linked, and that you need outputs in order to justify process. The next thing we're going to talk about is different intents of reporting. Why yeah. does any given person go to a report? And we find five different ways to categorize this. And
1: when you think about, you know, the intent of a report, right, again, it's really why are you gathering this data and presenting it in a certain way? First thing I'd say is that you want to show how you can minimize the bad outcomes, right? I mean, that that is probably the number one reason why reports are created, because you want to minimize any bad outcomes. If it's an incident count report, right, like you want to see that count go down. Typically, so that you can say that we're getting better at our job, right? If it's a P1 duration, you want to see that count, that duration timer shrink, right? Mm-hmm. So that you can, you know, you can say that we're resolving P1s quicker than we have ever resolved them before. You have to have in mind the intent of that report when you're designing the report, and again, it's mainly so that you can align your process with the actual outcomes that you're looking to achieve. If you designed a process that's that's creating a different outcome, then you're not going to capture the value that you're trying to get. Going from there, you know, I'd say the number two thing is direct opposite of minimizing bad outcomes, and that's maximizing your good outcomes, right? And that is when we've already figured out that we can, you know, minimize how long a P1 lasts, right? But now we want to talk about how can we enhance the good things that are coming out of our our, our instance knowledge is a great example of it we created 20 articles last week you know this week we've created 50 right like that shows that you know we're we're maximizing our our, our our article creation right and that's a metric we want to report on to encourage more people to submit more knowledge you know the more knowledge we get stored in the instance instance the less institutional knowledge that we carry forward
0: which means that as we go forward another intent of reporting and this could be either good or bad. So really be mindful about when you do it is what I call insight minds. These are, and and I would say like most of the dashboards that people ask for, if you just say, what do you want on a dashboard? They'll give it five seconds thought and they'll they'll give you stuff that assembles an insight mind. And an insight mind is something where the screen's in front of you and you stare at it and you mine for insight. What do all these things together tell me about stuff? You stare at the screen and you hope to find some kind of pattern that can help you make a decision. And like I said, in some circumstances, this can be really, really good. In other circumstances, it can be a total waste of time. So you got (laughs) to be, (laughs) the example I always give is, man, I saw one customer And all the dashboard was, was like six different ways to visualize incidents by category and state or incidents by category and priority. And it was just like, one's a pie chart, one's a bar chart, one's, you know, PA counts over time, but it didn't matter how long you stared at it. It wasn't going to give you anything that helps you make a decision or help minimize a bad outcome or maximize a good outcome. It was just stuff that was there. Be just be really careful when you build reports where the intent is to look at it until you get insight. <laughs> uh,
1: the intent is magic. <laughs> That's what the intent is. It's like you're looking at that thing and you're you're shouting to yourself "abracadabra" over and over again and hoping something happens.
0: <laughs> and here's the pass to Corey. What's the opposite of an insight mind?
1: Uh, this making a decision, right? Like when you look at the data, the decision jumps out at you and tells you exactly what you need to do and and exactly the way that you need to do it. Right. So this one is, is a favorite of mine, right? This is something I was called upon to do quite often when I was back, when I was working corporate and uh, my boss, um, he would ring me up and say, Hey, my boss is asking me for how to make this decision. Right. And I need to let him know something by the end of the day. Do we have any data that I can use to support a decision one way or the other? I said, give me a minute. And so I go into the data, into the uh, instance, and I craft a report based around the general idea of what he's telling me that he needs to make a decision on. And I present that data in such a way as not necessarily to support a decision, yes or no, but to support the creation of a decision at all. But if he, whatever he would want a decision on, right? I, I give him the data so that he can analyze it, and a decision became apparent. Not an insight mind where we're looking at, you know, incident categories in seven different ways.
0: Some modules are harder than others for this. So like incident management, at least for me, it's harder to get decision making intel. But ITBM is like wall to wall decision making stuff. <laughs> I have too much costs planned. How do I influence the budget? Or right. I have these cost models for the labor. What happens if I outsource? What happens if I spread the projects over two years instead of one? I feel like ITBM has all kinds of places where the data will drive a decision right away.
1: Actually, and now that I think about it, one of the key modules that we used often to make to drive decision making was surveys. And Mm. we didn't necessarily make staffing decisions only based on survey data, but survey data could be a really good part of. You can see how the individual did in terms of various different ratings that were sent out to the end user so that come back and say, well, this guy is really knowledgeable or he's not knowledgeable, but he's got a great personality and everybody likes him anyway. And so it kind of gives you a better idea of where someone stands with who who they do business with.
0: The last intent we're going to talk about is a lot less sexy, but absolutely necessary. And that is ordering of work. So if you think about the most primitive ServiceNow solutions you've ever seen, all this happened in email. It was awful. It was horrible. It was disgusting. We moved that over to ServiceNow holy cow, these things are in a list that we can see. Everybody can see them. That's amazing. And that scratched the itch because now it was like, whoever's working on those tickets can see that list. Remarkably simple, but one intent of reporting is just to say, what should I do next? And this is where we're going to transition from intensive reporting into personas of reporting. And so the intent I just talked about the work ordering is actually the basis for the first persona that we talk about when we talk about reporting i like to call this persona the operators and the operators are the people who are doing the work and you know let's all be super real here they aren't necessarily interested in the higher level trends or the higher level strategy or objectives or the outcomes that they're trying to maximize or minimize They just want to know what should I do next in the queue? They're like, let me think about it. You tell me what comes next and I will just do it. These are the workhorses, the Clydesdales of your processes. And so operators want work ordering. And in my opinion, the best tool is something where the performance analytics spotlight is used. Because spotlight gives you that meta view that says, okay, Here's all the performance analytics that I care about. Here's all the reports that I care about. And Spotlight kind of aggregates that and ranks every ticket based off of whether it appears in those reports or those indicators and scores each ticket. What happens if you have five tickets out of 100 that are P1? You do the five. What happens if every single one of those 100 tickets are P1? You need something better to to gauge what comes next. So, operators need to figure out what comes next. And the best tool is a spotlight from PA.
1: An example, if you have, you know, 100, 100 tickets and all of them are P1s, you should probably look for another job. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on with, person- with personas, right? The next one that I I'd call out is stakeholders. And stakeholders have a different view of the data than operators. Stakeholders look at the data from the 50,000 foot view, making a decision. You've already written a story. I want to read it. I want someone to have already done that. My time is valuable. I, someone should have already built the story for me. and Then they're going to present the data to me so that I can now make a decision. This is all about actionable data that allows me to make a quick decision and move on with the rest of my day because yep. every five minutes of my day is costing the company an insane amount of money, right? You know, And so I need to be able to make these decisions quick. And, and my decisions also have a very, very wide and high impact too. When I say, you know, order this thing, typically I'm saying order this new data center or order this new rack full of equipment. And I need to know, you know, where our capacity is. Reporting should give me that. It should tell me that we're at capacity on our VMs. And we have been for the last 30 days at 80 or 90 percent. Right. And for the last 90 days at 75 percent. So I can see it trending up where it's not downwards. Right? That's right. the kind of thing that I
0: need. But it's, it's a different interface, right?
1: Yeah, it is yeah, it's not even it's not even the same sort of perspective, right? Like I'm not looking at a list view, I'm not ordering work, you know, I'm not looking at things being surfaced. I'm looking at a dashboard typically and I got counters. If it's a report, that report is not showing me individual records, it's showing me aggregated data.
0: And just the data. That helps me make the decision. It's void right. of all the other stuff.
1: Absolutely. It's gonna be bare bones to the point. Don't show me anything else. I'm paying for service now, but I don't really care about it.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. And so what tools do people generally use? Like, I mean, I see people use PowerPoint. I use PowerPoint back in the day, right? You know, I wanted to show the upper brass that this decision was the right decision or make this decision so that we can fix this. And it was always like aggregate the data, aggregate the data, show them three numbers and then me proposing my action plan.
1: That data is really just your justification for your decision, right? You're you're in there to pitch. It's like Shark Tank Time. You're in there making a pitch. And that data that you're going to show them, those three numbers, those three counters Yep. That's really just your evidence, your backup.
0: We've basically put both sides of the spectrum, like the people who are just show me what to do next and the other people who are saying, show me the story so that I can make a decision. But in between is a huge gray area. And I call this persona, the analyst. And the analyst is responsible for, you know, as the operators generate more and more and more data, as the platform generates more and more data, the analyst makes sense of it. The analysts spot the trends. The analysts figure out the story that they're going to tell the stakeholders based off of the data that's coming into the platform. And the analysts need every tool they can get from regular reporting to performance analytics because they're going to want to track this stuff over time. That's the personas, the operator, the analyst, and the stakeholder. They all need different tools. They all need different interfaces. And so with that, we're going to progress into the tools section of this discussion Corey's going to launch it off with what's up with just base platform reporting. And but before
1: I go there, I just thought of a really, really great analogy for personas, right? And this might be because I read a lot of Tom Clancy books, right? Personas are set up exactly to mirror the CIA. When you have the, you have the stakeholders, who's basically the director of intelligence, right? That's the person who's going to order someone to go somewhere. Right. And you have your analyst who's taking all that shifting, through sifting through all of that data that's out there to deliver to that to that director, you know, where he should tell someone to go. And then you got the operator, right, who's going to actually go somewhere and take that target out. It's the same thing when you're thinking about personas, right? You've got somebody at the tactical level. You've got somebody at the strategic level and you've got somebody who's creating a story. But moving on from there, when we talk about reporting tools, right, reporting is like the base level of entry for for service now reporting. When you think about that, it's it's kind of like the atomic unit. You're gonna come in and you're gonna you're gonna have several different ways to display data that is mostly static. Actually I think it's all static. But the great thing about it is that it is still interactive in the way that you can click through and view the underlying data that creates the that creates your visualizations. For example, you know you can see scorecards when you click the scorecard you then get a get to a nice list view. Of the records that um, comprise that score, but ultimately, reporting is the right now of what's going on in the instance. There is no historical ability with that unless you export that report out and you know save it as an Excel spreadsheet or you know save that number and put it in a PowerPoint or something like that. Right. But reporting is always up to date. Your current, a current picture of your current environment right. that makes it only suitable for actionable information right now, not yesterday.
0: Contrast that with performance analytics and performance analytics takes a historic view. And I feel like performance analytics does not get nearly enough credit. And I feel like people, especially in the olden days, like people were trying to do this outside of PA. They were just like, oh, let's figure out what this number is and then store that number in a table. Performance analytics is that ability to look at things. Like, I don't want to say look into the past. It's like generate the number every period and store that in a score sheet. And the way this is important is some things can't be derived in arrears. If I asked, what's the average amount of time since the last update of every incident? And you could say one day. Great. Is that an improvement or are we getting worse? And the only way you'd know is if you could somehow say a week ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, here's how many tickets weren't updated in the last five days. But you can't do that in arrears because there's only one updated date and it changes every single time you save. If you've updated it in the past week, there's no way we could figure out where it was at five weeks ago. So you can't tell the change over time unless you have performance analytics. And performance analytics is a secret sauce to saying to your stakeholders, to your analysts, the outcomes are improving. Absolutely. So reporting, you can do it as long as you're storing the results of the reports manually. But performance analytics really brings home that idea that, okay, the outcomes are defined. Let's see if those outcomes improve or degrade. And if you're smart about this when you're implementing ServiceNow, imagine doing an implementation and then on go live day plus two, hey, look, this thing that we said was important is actually improving or it's degrading and we know why. That's the power of PA. Absolutely.
1: Done well and done right, PA unlocks so much value and has the potential to save you so much money.
0: Let's link this back to personas. Which persona does PA most support?
1: PA is going to link back directly to the analyst, right? That's going to be the person who's going to craft that story for you. And that person needs access to all the data, especially to data in arrears. Too so they can craft the perfect story because every story has a, a start, a middle, and an end. When you think about reporting, reporting is going to focus in on the operator. You know, the operator really doesn't care what happened yesterday, they don't care what happened a week ago. They want to know what's happening right now yep. and what happens next, right? I'm on the ground right now. What's my target? How do I get out of here? And then when you start thinking about what does the stakeholder need in order to make a decision, well, that's where Vivid Charts comes in.
0: Oh, he could have pulled out Vivid Charts. <laughs> <laughs> Are we gonna go there?
1: Yeah, we're going there, man. We're going there. I mean, I think it's only right if we're talking about reporting that we talk about the best solution for reporting on the market.
0: It's not the best solution. I like because PA is that great analyst tool, right? And reporting is great for the operators. But what yeah, we but designed- one of
1: those guys spend the money, Robert? What's that? Neither one of those guys spend the money.
0: That's right. And that's why we built Vivid Charts, is because that stakeholder, it's a different paradigm, right? Absolutely. And so we ran surveys and we figured out why people spend ludicrous amounts of time pulling report data out of service now. And it was because they needed greater aesthetic control. They needed storytelling interfaces similar to PowerPoint. They needed better distribution, meaning I got this project status report and I need to send it to some dude who's not even an ITBM resource. And then they also needed better formulation. like I just need to take this number and multiply it by my labor rate, or I need to make this number and add... Add it to this number, just make a formula out of it. But all of these reasons why you're exporting is so that you could tell a story to the stakeholder, Absolutely. right? Stuff you would normally pull out and do all kinds of magic with so that you could put it back into PowerPoint and push it up. And so we developed vivid charts so that we could keep all of that in the platform because a it's super laborious to take this stuff out. Like, imagine taking a ServiceNow dev or an architect or an admin, your keys to the kingdom for delivering more value to the organization and saying, hey, listen, guy, why don't you just concentrate on exporting data and manipulating it? I
1: haven't been that admin before, <laughs> right? Who's focused on exporting data, manipulating it, or, you know, creating custom tables inside of ServiceNow and storing that data there. And running it through complex scripts with a lot of math to massage the data into the format that we were looking for ultimately only to run it through the reporting tool you know and try to make something that was a current view of your instance into a historical view of your instance I've been there. I've done that. It is a pain in the butt. And ultimately, it's still not pretty unless you export the data and put it into PowerPoint. And pretty counts.
0: 50% of our survey respondents said that they need greater aesthetic control. I mean, imagine being an MSP and your brand is your performance. Why wouldn't you put that like front and center, your brand front and center with the data? That's why we created Vivid Charts, is to figure out how do we give people better formulation, better aesthetic control, better storytelling interfaces, and better report distribution so that we can serve that
1: stakeholder persona. And I'm just going to double back here and talk about storytelling again, right? Because I think that is one of the most underrealized parts of any reporting initiative, telling the story of what the numbers mean. That is so, so, so important and is where Vivid Charts really excels. And ultimately, when you get in that meeting with your stakeholders, you're in that conference room and those guys have a granted you 30 minutes. You've got 10 before the BlackBerry comes out, 10 before the laptop comes out or the iPad or the mm-hmm. what have you. You know, you've got 10 minutes to make your presentation count. And keep them engaged before they're focused on something else. So if you're not telling a good story, and that and those charts and graphs aren't compelling and visually stunning and hitting with the with the level of accuracy and and innovation that they expect to see, then you're going to lose it. And whatever you're in that pitching here is is gone. Definitely take a look at Vivid Charts if if you want to tell a story, if you want to tell that story without leaving ServiceNow.
0: And speaking of 10 minutes, we're at 35 minutes of raw audio record. So we got to wrap it up. For those of you listening, think about these concepts, processes and outputs, the various intents of reporting, minimizing bad outcomes, maximizing good outcomes, insight minds, decision making reports and work ordering, consider personas operators stakeholders analysts consider the tools reporting pa and vivid charts and with all this information man go and make reporting the centerpiece of your service now operation
1: absolutely you should spend a lot of time on this at the very beginning because if you get it right it's going to return so much value with that said i am Corey cj wesley
0: and i am robert the duke Fedoric thanks for joining us people
1: Take care, guys. Stay safe out there.